Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Finding Backcountry podcast. This is, uh, we're back, you know, winter, I love winter time because what else is there to do when it gets dark at five o'clock, but jump on uh podcast, right, Stephen? Yeah, that's you know, something, something to keep us busy thinking about next year. Yeah. Reload bullets or build arrows and then jump on a podcast. You can't be out doing too much. So, um, <laughs> yeah, this this will be uh, an elk, kind of elk specific, and we'll try and tailor it towards, you know, relevant right now this season to kind of a late season uh, bull elk hunt or you know even a cow elk or whatever you've got late season there's a lot of guys chasing they chase cows super late you know december or whatever so this would all all apply generally but um got uh just a wealth of knowledge on um he reminded me steven reminded me that we actually did meet down at uh one of the trade shows i do in vegas and I had completely forgot. I think I was in kind of work mode, you know, and you're just talking to a gazillion people at a trade show. And, uh, yeah, totally forgot we had, we had met Steven. So, um, but give, give everybody your little, you know, two cents, your two minute rundown bio and all that. And then we'll, I'll jump in. All right. Sounds good, man. Yeah. I just, I mean, I live here in Western Wyoming, so, you know, we can luckily live in a state where I can buy a tag over the counter and hunt elk all the way from september 1st into like late october and then if you get lucky and draw a late tag you can hunt into november for bulls and so you know definitely have the ability to chase bulls all season long and um every year is a little bit different here but i think our late season hunting is pretty like we hunt have a massive migration you know and so when the snow starts hitting you really have to know kind of what to look for and where you need to go for elk because these elk aren't just pocketing up in the same mountain range they're moving mountain ranges fast and so you kind of got to have an idea of how to hunt them but i've also hunted a lot of resident elk late in the snow and like as you know just late season hunting is a whole different animal you got to be willing to brave the elements and yeah. kind of stick it out there to find these bulls that get pocketed up in some nasty stuff. Did you, uh, so a little history on, have you lived in Wyoming your whole life? No, originally grew up in Idaho, central Idaho. And then my, I spent 10 years guiding hunters doing backcountry horseback hunts. So I, my ended up, I did four years in the Frank church wilderness. And then I migrated to Western Wyoming where there's actually elk and bigger bulls <laughs> and home a lot better. <laughs> so, you know, I, I actually, I grew up coming to Western Wyoming a lot as a kid playing hockey. So I mean, this, this area wasn't new to me at all. It just, it's kind of always drawn me for the hunting and between mule deer and elk. I know we're supposed to just talk about elk on this one, but oh no, obviously, listen, yes, mule deer's Wyoming. always, yeah. Mule deer's always on the table. <laughs> obviously for me you know mule deer was one of the biggest draws and then once i got out of guiding hunters for living and had to get a real job then i could actually focus on starting to hunt for myself finally which has been what i've been doing for the past years yeah 
Yeah, back to your guiding thing. There is nothing worse than guiding hunters in areas that don't have like quality animals or any animals or whatever. Yeah. So it's just... yeah, yeah, I always see people talk about the Frank Church, the flying hunts and all that. And if you want to go for an experience and adventure, go for it. If you want to go because you think you're going to see a 320 bull or a 200 inch buck, just don't spend your money. <laughs> it's a beautiful spot but it is a desolate miserable steep waterless area and it's the frank church for a reason it's rugged yeah yeah we are so yeah over to the wyoming stuff we are spoiled here um you know and the elk tag as as well as the deer tag i mean i was just chatting with a guy the other day on social and one of my buddies and saw that I had posted or, or no, I think he had listened to my, my, just my recent update, uh, podcast. And I talked about all the different, you know, I hunted the high country in September and then I hunted, you know, back in, then I went to Colorado and then I went to the high country again for the end of October or the first of October. And then I went into the, you know, there's some units up here by the bighorns that are mid October. And then I'm outside yeah. of Cody in November and it's just, and they're like, wait, wait, did I miss something with my tag? And I'm like, no, you didn't miss anything. You're from Utah. And so you, uh, you're not only stuck to one unit, but you get one little season. So shh, yeah. shh, 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 shush up. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, yeah. and the elk's the same, right? I mean, I, I literally don't follow the elk units like I should and definitely don't put the the time into them. I'm pretty dedicated to the mule deer, at least through about this time of year, but there, is there multiple u- units and stuff like that statewide that you can kind of jump from, or is it all a little bit more centralized I'm, dates? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty nomadic guy. I like to see new country and explore new stuff. So about every, you know, every year I'm in different units and scouting in the summer and trying to find those places where I think bulls can get big. And like this year, there's been a spot I've basically like told myself for years, I need to go check this spot out. And then every year, like three years ago, I drew my late season tag. So I didn't go in there two years ago. I like, I got on a big buck and you know, once I found a big buck, elk goes to the back of my mind. And so finally, <laughs> this was the first year I actually got to go hunt this spot in archery. And it was everything I kind of hoped for. There was a ton of elk, some really huge bulls. And it just, I, nothing, you know, I, I made some screwed up spots. Like I had a 360 bullet. 40 yards and I was on the wrong side of the tree and couldn't get a shot but it was some of the most fun September I had had this year and it was all in a new unit but you know that's kind of why I like this this area and you know you can go all over the western side of the state central side of the state and there's just there's everything from the you know that the back country that's like cedar pinions in the over by buffalo or even east of there all the way to obviously the western wyoming rugged steep stuff yeah yeah but so, so the dates though on on our and this is just me being selfish for a minute but the wyoming um elk general elk dates they're a little bit more all the same aren't they like you get september across the state and then it probably goes through a little bit of october but yeah yeah Yeah. i mean like you got some openers you know some of the wilderness stuff opens on like the 20th of september that's right that's right for those are the early ones but most i'd say like the majority of stuff is just the month of october yep i got you okay yeah so i mean if if you haven't um yeah geez steven gets after it man uh just grab his instagram social real quick and you don't even have to scroll very far like um you know dude you're getting after it so you're uh a lot of backcountry stuff a lot of uh you know horses and horse camp and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's you know it's kind of 10 years of guiding with horses and 
dealing with 60, 70 head of horses in a camp. And now that I have, you know, my couple horses and sometimes I pick up a couple more for the fall, but it's just, it's a, it's really nice to be able to have like two to three horses and go do these trips compared to where I spent 10 years, you know, having to manage and maintain a herd of, you know, as you probably know, and the people that listen to this that, you know, there's always the people that have never been around horses that are jealous of horse hunters and them going in far. And then there's the people that hunted with horses and know, you know, hunting with horses is great when it's packing an elk out, but 90% of the time hunting with horses is just taking care of the horses and yeah. keeping an eye on them. Yeah, I reluctantly almost, I say that because, you know, I exactly what you said, man. I've been a horse guy my whole life. We grew up with them. Same deal. We even guide, my dad guided with them. So I remember when we had 10 or 12 horses in a little pack string and they would use them all, you know, all over Southern Nevada there. And we got into the pack llamas, you know, my brother and dad and I, and gone wild with that. And I love the llamas. There's no beating a llama until you live in kind of Northwest Wyoming and you have a tag up in the, <laughs> in this type of country. And especially, you know, when it's, it's not always a hunt that I'm going to go backpack in and stay for five or seven days or whatever. Um, I just yeah. want to go day hunt. Right. And that's a problem in this country because you just it's so big and can be so far in to get to where the bulls are that you can't effectively day hunt it if you don't have the time or aren't going to take the time to go you know 10 day back backpack or back camp it um that's a problem and so i almost just like you said i almost reluctantly got a horse (laughs) and uh he's just a two-year-old right now and he's my kind of winter and spring summer project next year but it was specifically to hunt this stuff because, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's, Where you're uh, at, like I said, you know, I had my weight tag up there and would spend a little bit of time. And like that, I mean, that country all around you is just rough and nasty and big. And, you know, you're, you know, even when I had my late tag up there, you know, we packed in probably 12, 15 miles to where we camped. And then we were still putting 20 plus miles a day on the horses. I mean, we were seeing tons of elk. It was awesome. It was fun, but there was nothing like easy about it. You were still covering 15, 20 miles a day, trying to find different groups of bulls and beat the way through the snow. I mean, it's not just like, you know, cause it's late season and we got a bunch of snow. It doesn't mean those elk are all piled into easy to hunt spots. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll 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 jump in here to the. I think a good transition would be kind of the you know as we get into these um, later elk hunts, specifically bulls. The I, I want to start maybe with the different types of, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, terrain or or mountain ranges, right? Where, um, you know, you've talked a few times now about these these migration type hunts here outside of Cody. Um, and these, these, you know, in the, the big nasty mountain ranges here, Wyoming, or, you know, even probably Colorado a little bit. Um, whereas compared to like uh, Nevada or Arizona where they have big, you know, open Valley floor down to the desert almost. And then they have one big mountain range that might go up to 10,000 feet, but then drops right back down off the other side. Right. Utah's kind of like that a little bit too, but. Um, you know, and the, and the difference, I guess, um, let's, let's talk the difference when you attack these, these type of late season. And when we say late season, Steven, are you, you, would you agree like November 1st kind of late and, and on? Yeah. Like post rut, you know, you're, you know, the bulls are broken off of the cows and like, they've got, they're kind of going up into that 
just they're hiding zones to recoup or whatever and kind of starting to group up into those bachelor groups. Okay. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And those, you know, I, I'll be honest, I've heard young bulls bugle in. I, I've had bulls bugle at me in on November 3rd is the latest I've ever had bulls bugle at me, but they were, you know, punk kids, so to speak. They didn't know, yeah. you know, there was nothing serious going on. I was just out, I was actually out calling coyotes and I think they got, you know, a little <laughs> overly excited about a coyote call. It's kind of weird, but right. um, yeah, I mean, by, by November, you know, even the second cycle cows are usually mid-October probably. And those, so talk about, I guess, first talk about what those bulls mindsets are once, you know, they transition from October to November and kind of what their, what their objectives are. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, kind of in my experience of hunting different country from like where I grew up in central Idaho, you know, our elk basically stayed in those mountains year round, you know, to different elevations and stuff where, you know, nowadays here in Western Wyoming, our elk move pretty heavily once the snow starts hitting and they migrate quite a ways to go to, you know, wintering grounds. So it's definitely different kind of ideas to go into it. But I think the general premise is the same. Like once those bulls start breaking up, you know, like when I, if I'm going to hunt a late season bull tag, it's like the first thing I'm thinking of is just, I'm not looking at the, you know, if you're, you're looking at the country i'm looking for that kind of the nasty and the rugged stuff it's just it's stuff they want to hole up in and go up into the deep finger ridges just off the tops of big ridges and you know the I've, I've talked to a few guys this year who have some really good late tags that i keep waiting to hopefully see a big bull hit the ground for them and just like the one thing i've told them is just like just because the snow's deep does not mean those bulls will not be in it and so um, when you I, when you say deep how, what what would you consider deep enough to move move bulls? I mean, you know, I think the bulls are pretty tough and everything like that. I've seen bulls in three feet of snow, but I think that's pretty much pushing it. You know, when they're pushing their bellies, they start moving yeah. down. But, you know, the one thing I've – like my first real late season experience was years ago when I was up in that Cody country on a, on a different tag, and we ended up hunting right around Thanksgiving week. And the first three or four days, you know, we were pounding the lower country and we were seeing tons of elk, just hundreds of cows. And then just the biggest bull we could find was maybe, maybe 300 ish. And I was like, God, where are these bigger bulls? And, and finally I was just like, well, let's go up into the high country and just have the wind blow us off our horses and see what happens. <laughs> like, you know, it was, we were riding up there and we're at, we got to like 10,000 feet. I'm like, what are we doing up here? Like, there is not anything going to be living up here. And then all of a sudden, you know, we started kind of getting off the main ridge, starting to drop onto some finger ridges. And we were in two, three foot of snow. And all of a sudden we started cutting old, like pretty fresh tracks that were blown over. And then I looked across to another finger ridge and there was six bulls just bedded in the snow, in the burn, like wide open, just bedded there in the wind with not a care in the world. Yeah. And uh, so that's, and we ended up filling tags on that hunt. And so ever, ever since that hunt, I've like, I mean, when it comes to, I, I just don't ever avoid country because of snow or anything like that. I actually like, that's the first place I look is, especially if there's a burn in the area. I feel like those bulls just, they feel comfortable up there and they'll sit there in the snow and the sun all day. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so let, let, let's, let's attack the, the migration type stuff, like the Cody, you know, the Wyoming, yep. Western Wyoming feel, and then we'll we'll transition and I'll I'll talk about the tag that I uh, that I've got because it's going to be not it's not a uh, migration type winter right. hunt you know it's just a it's just a, a winter hunt so um, 
Okay, so, you know, a, a migration-type bull hunt. Um, are my first thought to go back to mule deer, right, where they'll, the, they have these migration routes, right, and these bulls, I'm sure, have a similar type of a thing, right? Yeah, for sure. And they're they're probably using it every year similarly. Yeah, you know, so when I drew the tag that I ended up killing my big bull on, it was, you know, it's a great tag. I knew it was. And uh, so earlier, I also drew a mountain goat tag that same year for a new mountain goat unit here. And so I ended up getting a good billy with my bow. And when I went and checked him in with the biologist, it just happened to be the head biologist here in the Jackson area used to be the head elk biologist for Cody for like 20 years. So I mentioned what tag I had. And he goes, oh, here, and brings out a map and literally runs his finger he goes this is where they're going to migrate they're going to come up and over this mountain you're not going to believe it because it looks like a giant cliff but they do they come right over it and he just he laid it out he's like this is the migration route for the most part like there's some that fiddle through in different spots but this is where they come and uh that year we got so much snow in october that the migration started way early and by the time our hunt started in, in november 1st like we i remember that first day I mean, we saw a lot of bulls right off the bat and there was a, there was a trail that looked like 2000 head of elk had gone through there within the past, like four days before that. And it was like, it was just, you could tell it was just a migration path and it was pretty cool to see. Like it, I mean, it was just a, I mean, it literally a thousand plus elk had gone through there. Yep. I, that, I bet you that was 2019, huh? Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. I remember that winter because that, uh, my brother had, we had been building up Wyoming elk points. And then once I finally moved up here, so he had drawn, uh, one of these, you know, unit 60 tags up here, uh, close by and that same year. And yeah, for almost the very first day of October, massive snowstorm, like, you know, six or eight inches middle of October, another snowstorm rolled in. And then the very last end of October, uh, or, or within like three weeks, because it was it was all within the season. So it was like October first to October twenty first, yep. um, three major snowstorms, and it was exact. <laughs> yeah, yep. Holy cow! I'll I'll post if I have it. I'll post up a video of us peeking over a ridge, um, glassing, and he's just <laughs> that wind. I bet it's ripping forty, fifty plus. And he's yeah. got his, all he's got of uh, uh, visibles is eyeballs, right? And just yeah. puffy jacket. And we just, you know, over the top of this ridge. And it's, it's not like gusts of 40, 50 plus. It's just a f- straight 50 mile an hour wind. Just, you know, just like unbelievable. Um, but yeah, same thing that you just said, just highways of trails of elk coming out of that and we were honestly we were a little late i was waiting for my um you know one year clock to uh, roll it was the first year i'd been up here a full year and so to yeah. take him into the wilderness i had to be up a resident for a year and so it was like right on the time frame and and so we didn't get in till you know the last few days of the hunt or whatever and it was like you know again now looking back and what you're saying those bulls are possibly still further deep in you know we were three or four miles up in there um i think but we're probably seeing all the cows and calves and young bulls and stuff trailing out of there already but 
you know, and you know, like in the all the years are guided up north here in the general tag zone, but you still get a migration through the general tag zones, you know, if you get the snows early, which doesn't always happen. But a couple years that we guided, like we got really good migration hunt pushes right there at the end, and you know, it's just it's frustrating. Like I, I was trying, I was trying to tell a guy that I've been talking to this year, who he's drawn one of those really good late tags and he's been getting kind of frustrated because he's just not seeing, he's seeing elk. He's just not seeing the big bulls. And I'm like, I was like, this is what I will tell you about migration hunting from all the time I've done it between my guiding and general zones and then my own personal tags I've drawn. I'm like, migration hunting is the most frustrating fun hunt you'll ever have. (laughs) you can literally sit there and look at the same spot where you think they're going to come through every day for days and see nothing. And then one morning you wake up and there's a going to be a pile of elk sitting there. Just they come out of nowhere. And it's, that's, it was kind of cool. Like when I drew that, that really good tag, every morning was like a blank slate. Like we'd come we'd get up, we'd row it about an hour and a half from our camp every day to where our first glassing point was. And we'd come around the corner and it was just like, all right <laughs> we're, we're out today and it's all brand new bulls like it was just you kept wondering where they're coming from and like this that specific hunt honestly like where those elk come over if i if i took somebody up there and said elk come over that mountain in the middle like with three feet of snow and they bail off into that basin like off it looks like a i mean it looks like a bobsled luge that they bail through like a cornice of ice i mean i i couldn't believe it myself and the biologist told me that and then when we got up there and like i put a spotter up there and there was a herd of elk sitting on top this almost twelve thousand foot peak and five feet of snow up there and that you could see the cut in the ice crevasse that they jump through and that's where they come every year I mean, it was it was pretty impressive to see that. And I mean, them them elk are tough suckers, especially. So, do you did you feel like it was more of a geographical uh, reasoning that they were coming through a certain area, or was it because oh, we can they could swing through there and hit this basin that was burned, or was it like a feed thing, or a, or was it just pure proximity like away from people like why why do you feel like they're coming the route that they were coming it's just that's their path they uh they come down from all that yellowstone country and then they come down through some steep nasty canyons and there's like a pinch point so and so so it was it was terrain driven though you feel like when they hit that pinch point like yeah yeah 100 and like they all filter into the spot and there's like with that specific tag you basically have two options you either go up the one main drainage and you basically sit on the river bottom at the pinch point and try and shoot every morning and night as they filter through and or you could pack into the bigger country like we did and you have more ability to kind of roam the ridges look for elk and like you know one thing we notice is even though the migration's going and those elk are on the move you'll still get elk to hold up you know if it's not dumping snow every single day you know you'll get bulls that'll hold up for a couple days some bulls don't we found that out the hard way on opening day we found like a 390 bull bedded in the burn with a couple other nice bulls and my hunting partner i was like hey that's your bull like we're getting you a good one first and what hindsight being hindsight so this is like one thing for like late season hunt for me in that aspect i tried to do the you know the hunter thing i tried to circle around go all the way behind them come up above them honestly we should have just rode right up the canyon they were in and let them watch us coming on the horses because we probably would have got a shot because by the time we circled around and popped up those elk could just up and they had got out of their day beds and migrated they didn't blow out they just got up and moved while we were making our move and they were gone yeah which was, you know, I, I was kind of just, that was my first really like, 
Well, yeah, we're hunting the migration. Like these bulls will get up at any point of the day and move. Like they're not going to just sit in their beds. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it brings up the question of, you know, do you, <laughs> yeah, well, do you know, do you, do you attack them and be, be mobile yourself so that you're running into bulls like that, that are just on the move <laughs> or, you know, I, I guess being in a place, like you said, where you can just strike right, right away and you don't have to stalk around mm-hmm. and, you know, waste time where they're going to possibly get up and just keep moving on you. Um, you know, it's, I think on any hunt, like if you have a choice like that, it's just more, you know, dealer's choice on that. We, we chose to go the route we did because we knew the couple outfitters in the area were going to, they usually would take their clients up to that pinch point spot. And we're like, you know, we don't want to fight with outfitters. I'd rather them just, just, we'll go do our own thing. I don't want to be sitting there fighting people at a pinch point. It was kind of our reason for packing in further into the back country. Yeah. Um, did you see what, uh, cows and bulls all together or typically bulls off by themselves, big bulls completely by themselves? Or were they ba- back to little bachelor herds? A little bit of everything. Like my, my bull, when I killed him, he was with a group of bulls and some cows. Mm-hmm. And then, but like a lot of the bulls we were seeing were in groups of, you know, three, four to eight, 10 bulls. And then there was some huge herds like i mean i've got a video spanning across like two rid- giant ridges and all it is it looks like ants growing all over it's all elk and like there wasn't a giant bull in that group but there was probably 500 head of elk and there was a mixture of everything from cows to bulls but you know like the one thing like i've always kind of in my experience is when you start really seeing them like when i hunted that first time i ever had a late tag where we ended up going up in the high country and finding bulls up there we were we spent those first four days down low and we were seeing ton, like i said tons of elk cows and younger bulls but we had to go we had to get away from them to really find the more mature bulls and i still do feel like that even though on migration stuff those elk are gonna they're gonna get mixed together no matter what because there's just so much movement but i do feel like them bigger groups of bulls like the more mature ones on any late season tag whether it's migration related or not I, like if I'm looking at a herd, a lot of elk and it's mainly cows and stuff, I'd probably move country and try and yeah. find stuff where you're going to find the singles and the, the couple of bulls here. Like I'd rather see one or two bulls in a day than I'd see three or 400 cows with some bulls, you know, because I think the bigger bulls are not going to be with those groups. Late. Yeah, that's that's what we're I, that's what I feel like, you know, is most common, like you said, is just. You know, if you see a pile of elk, they're usually all cows and calves and then some younger bulls. Um, and like exactly what you said is what I was thinking. Like if those bulls were with cows, they weren't with cows, obviously, like they're with cows in September. Yeah. They're just, you know, when you got a migration route, that's that, you know, much of a pinch point and thousands of elk are all using it. Of course, you know, it's like being on yeah. the freeway, right? You're all kind of on the same road, but you're not traveling together necessarily. Yeah. So um yeah it was, it was pretty cool like that tag i had like my bull was pretty unique in that he had like his one of his front tines comes and drops down like over his nose so he was a pretty unique bull and so when my hunt partner and i packed out our bulls and everything we uh like long story short my hunt partner had he had gone in there in october to scout and and just kind of get a lay of the land and when he was in there just in october like he met the game warden and stuff and like they they exchange and so the game war knew we were going to be up there and so 
that the warden kind of was just off for a drive and seen us coming out that day. And he came and him and his wife helped unload our, our stock and all that, which was cool. But he, uh, he's like, well, Hey, I've got a migration camera up the Canyon. I'll, I'm going to go retrieve it in a few weeks. Your bull's pretty unique. You know, if I, if I see him when I go through the this winter, I'll send them to you. And, you know, a couple months later, he sent four pictures to me of my bull and he, he passed by that kind of pinch point camera area like 10 days before I killed him. So he did go up and over and then he held up and just kind of, he stopped moving. He kind of held up in that high country instead of continuing to the winter grounds. But it was just pretty cool to kind of see that aspect, you know, of that that bull had passed through right at the end of October, but then he held up, you know, he wasn't one of the ones that just pushed through in a day. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, is, is sounds typical, right. Of those big bulls. Um, you know, they're, they obviously have some sort of innate in this type of country. They have an innate understanding that they have to get through a certain, you know, that pinch point's probably like their go, no go, right. Like <laughs> they've got to get, you know, they've got to, they know they've got to get through that at some point. And if the snow gets too brutal, you know, um, they're not going to make it. And, yeah. and, but once they get through that, you know, they, those bulls probably feel like, okay, like, you know, worst case I can drop down to the, the, the Canyon here and be down to the highway and, you know, yeah. or wherever it is in, in, you know, two hours or three hours if I have to, but this is the stopping point. This is as far as I need to go, you know? Yeah. And you know, not like, the one thing like that late season stuff, just like saying, you know, not being afraid to look up in the higher stuff for these elk. And like, if you're especially in an area, you know, like anything around Cody where the wind never stops blowing, but like, <laughs> I'd assume like for your Nevada tag and stuff, it's just in like where I grew up in Idaho, like anywhere the wind blows that snow off, them bulls will live up there all winter at 10,000, 11,000 feet. If it, if they can eat, you know, the, yeah. what, what affects us on a daily basis between being miserable in the snow and the wind doesn't affect them at all. Yeah. Yep. And so transition into that, um, what he's referring to that Nevada tag, um, <laughs> I, people are going to hate me. Um, you know, I don't know if you followed my moose, uh, tag that I basically won in a lottery down at the hunt expo a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so there was that. And then, you know, I didn't draw any tags last year or this year. And every, you know, every once in a while I'll get a message. I'll, I'll say something online like, Oh, I didn't get any tags. And they'll be like, Oh yeah, you got your moose tag. you know. And so then this year, um, just recently, I mean, this all happened in like five days ago. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. This, so, so I picked up a late season Nevada <clears throat> bull tag and one of the top three units in the state honestly probably the best unit in the state i would guess but um it was on the off of the first come first serve and you know i don't have any problem saying that because it's literally just a lottery i mean you're like i've been sitting on there most of october since i've been back from most of my hunts and you know i'm lucky enough that i have a i guess lucky unlucky enough that i have to sit at a desk all day um when i'm not you know, I, I get to go out and do shooting classes and go to trade shows and go out and help on hunts and stuff enough that it makes it okay when I have to sit there. But when I do have to sit there, uh, this time of year, I'll pull up, um, that Nevada first come first serve. And, and what this is, is, you know, this, the state realized that they had all the, the, the turn back window of like 14 days or or sooner to the hunt. So like inside of 14 days, they used to not reissue the tags to an alternative because 
they didn't feel like that was fair, right? You didn't want to get a once in a lifetime tag sprung on you because the way they're, the way that their, uh, alternative works, like if someone turns a tag back at 30 days in Nevada, they automatically, it is automatically assigned and issued and paid for with the credit card on file to the next person that chose to be an alternative. Right. So it's just as if you drew it, boom, like you got the tag, but they didn't, they didn't, I don't think they liked that idea inside of 14 days. Cause these are, you know, not, not all of them are once in a lifetime hunts necessarily, but basically in Nevada, um, you know, if you, as soon as you draw a tag, like I'll, I'll be on a, you know, seven year waiting period. <clears throat> and so anyway, um, they were having all these tags go to waste. Cause guys would, you know, they would usually trophy hunters. I think they would get them and they'd go scout, scout, scout. And the day before the hunt opens, they'd decide nah, and they'd go turn it back. Right. To get their points. And they'd have all these, you know, big, big, uh, especially the big time units, you know, on a bad moisture year or whatever, they didn't find their 220 inch buck or their 400 inch bull, they'd go turn it back. Well, the state wants that tag issued. And so they come up with this first come first serve. Well, it is at first, it was the wild, wild west on this, this little program uh, website that they had where it was, there was no rules. Everyone could just get on. I think there was guys gaming it with programming in, you know, guys a lot smarter than me were program able to program in like, Hey, if this tag pops automatically put it in my cart, yeah. you know, and just super smart stuff. But, um, <laughs> now, yeah. Right. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll admit I had a couple of windows open with my profile up so I could see, you know, but now, <laughs> now they've shut all that down. You can only have one login per person. Like, I mean, it's, it's just, there's one page and it refreshes every 30 seconds. So the chances of you seeing any tags that pop up is about one in a million, especially if it's a good tag, because listen, man, when this thing, when this tag popped, I bet I clicked on it in under two seconds right? Like, like being able to read, okay, it's that unit, it's this tag, boom, and put it in your cart that fast. Um, right. Just right place, right time. You ex- just were looking exactly. Just stupid luck. And, and I grew up there. And so I don't have to sit and think about, Oh, what unit is this? Is that a decent yeah. unit? You know, and jump on go hunt <laughs> or whatever. And like, you know, I know, yeah. I knew exactly what I was looking at. Um, and so anyway, just complete stupid, dumb luck. But um, the way my last two years of hunting has gone, like, I don't feel bad at all, Stephen. Like, I, I'm not feeling bad at all because it's, it's a really good hunt. And anyway, so I tell you all that to piss guys off a little bit, I guess. And then more importantly, um, talk about kind of a different type of late season hunt, which would be like an area in Nevada where it's not a there's no migration really yeah now the cows will you know move up and down a mountain and they'll come down in the flats probably and not that the bulls won't do that down there too um but if there isn't an absurd amount of snow you know those bulls like you said here in wyoming even where there is an absurd amount of snow usually they'll still hang out at 10 11 000 feet sometimes on those wind-blown slopes you know and so how so you know that that brings up just a little bit different hunting tactic. I feel like, so, you know, what, what would you be keying in on, on a hunt like I have where, you know, they're not, there's no place to sit at a pinch point. Like what, what are the couple, two or three things you'd be targeting? Yeah. I mean, like, obviously the, you know, my biggest, my first thing would just be like, like an overall good glassing spot to glass as much country as I could see 
and like trying to take into aspect of like a, a south facing slope that's going to have some wind on it and help if you know if you have a bunch of snow you know if you don't have snow and you're just hunting cold temperature bulls i mean you're still looking for i feel like them bulls in my experience just in areas like that if you don't have a bunch of snow or whatever they they still like to feel like they're safe when they bed during the days but they don't necessarily need to go into thick timber anymore you know they're kind of going into scrub brush or just like kind of you know scattered trees but they're you know you have a lot better chance of glassing them during the day so like that's the one thing for me when on the any late season hunt i've been on like there's no you're you're not really getting in that uh the afternoon nap you know on the mountain because there's a chance of seeing elk get up and move all day long like you know late season is a whole different aspect of you're not really it's not first light last light anymore it's I mean, you have a chance of, you know, stumbling across something at any point of the day, especially if you're behind a scope or binos, if, you know, if that's a valid spot, you know, for the area you're hunting and you can put a lot of glass on country. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You can, you know, this is kind of that Eastern, Eastern side of Nevada where it's, you know, just big, big, one big mountain range and wide open. Heck, you can almost glass it from the Valley floor. You know, it's what a lot of guys will do. And then you know make their move or whatever but yeah i think i think that's good advice hitting those um you know i've been targeting looking at a couple south facing just big mountain ranges um anywhere you know google earth is pretty good nowadays any any place that you can i can pick up um where it's clearly just grass right like open open grass and then a little bit of timber nearby but um yeah uh, what else did you point out in there? I was going to mention, um, shoot, I didn't make any notes on it, but, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just like, you know, you go into a hunt like that, which, you know, the, the majority of like, you know, anyone that's probably listening to us ramble back and forth on this, a lot of people aren't hunting migration zones when they have late season you know, hunts. And, you know, those of us in like some Montana, Western Wyoming, you know, we have true migration hunt areas but the majority of your western states like when you hunt late season tags it's more you're you're hunting elk that have been pressured all season long september october you know it's not a lot of its general tag areas or you know well obviously like nevada and stuff it's limited draw but they've still gone through previous seasons of pressure so like i mean i still am a firm believer in this late season when you're looking for a big bull you know it's just i look in that nasty steep stuff avalanche shoots you know, just kind of like anything you were, it looks like it's probably going to be miserable to go up into. That's probably one of the first places I'm going to glass over like the meadow that's sitting on the other side of the ridge. Right. Yeah. It's funny you say that because it, it's, you could have almost been referring to how big bucks um, act, you know, especially like October, right. When they're just, they're isolated from, you know, they're, they kind of broke off of the you know, they're not with does yet, but they're out of their little bachelor herds. And sometimes they'll still be at bachelor herds and bulls will too this time of year. But a lot of times, you know, one big bull might just go hole up by himself. Right. And and he'll find, like you said, he'll find just this nasty, uh, I, I saw this shed hunting once in the spring, um, which is really good Intel, right. Of where a bull will stay and, and what a bull needs, uh, to really survive is what was eye opening to me. Cause I, I came across this, you know, dropped into this really nasty little, um, you know, just a, a pocket. I mean, and I don't mean like a basin. I just mean like a 
pocket that was, you know, as big as my house, right? I mean, it was probably, you know, it was nothing. Like it was less than an acre for sure. Um, half acre, quarter acre really it looked like, and you could just see in the snow. I mean, it looked like a four-year-old drawing a squiggly line everywhere. You know, he had been, in, he, he'd just been, you know, but that's where he had been. And he'd probably been in there for a month or whatever he was in, but he didn't, he hadn't left. I don't think he'd, you know, he might've ventured out to go, you know, hit this feeding spot and come back at this feeding spot. But like nine, it looked like 90% of his life for the last, you know, one to three months or whatever it had been, had been right there. Like he was pounding that little spot and he wasn't, it was really tight cover. Like you said, he was looking to get away from anybody seeing him or harassing him and just trying to recoup through the, and survive the winter, you know? Yeah, 100%. Like, we, like, I mean, now that's getting to be wintertime, like, one of my biggest things is I do a ton of backcountry snowmobiling. And, I mean, we'll run it all, every year. We run into groups of bulls or a lone bull in places you just would not expect <laughs> to come to the in the winter. You're like, are you going to die up here? Because if you do, I'd really like to find your head. You're dead. So, <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's like, but this is a long ways up here. I can't just, like, come and look at this spot. But, no, but, you know, the one, I think the most common occurrence like when i see when I, I like i jump a bull when we're going across a ridge or going through pocketed timbers like the one common thing is even if it's the snow's four or five feet deeper we run into like where i jump an elk somewhere close by there is a slope that gets enough wind that there's still grass is poking through and they can live off of it yeah yeah that's that's key like you said and that's why those burns are so such hot spots you know you just when you think of like a burn that, you know, is it eight, nine, 10,000 feet, even, um, in elk country, like in the winter time, man, it's yeah. any time, but just, you know, especially the winter time and, and it's got that grass and if, you know, the wind can sweep that off a little bit, like you said, yeah, they'll, they'll hammer that. Um, talk maybe for a second, just, just general elk hunting here. Cause I'm, you know, I just thinking through, um, uh, scoring bulls. Um, and, and do you, do you have any little tips or tactics that you use to, how, how big was your Wyoming bull you killed? He went, he went right at three, like 78. Um, so what, uh, what were you using to kind of, you know, are you, uh, counting, counting up inches, whether it's mule deer or elk or whatever you, you know, sitting there adding up tines and inches, or do you just kind of go off a feel of what you're seeing or what's your uh, advice for scoring uh, bulls specifically? Yeah. You know, like for, you know, for me on that tag, like, you know, I, I didn't go into it going, well, if I don't see a 380, I'm not shooting one. Like I, you know, it was, I, I'm, I guess I'm not to that point of being a trophy hunter where I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a picky hunter and my friends give me shit every fall because like, I, I mean, I won't punch my, like this year, I didn't punch my deer tag because the buck that I'd found in the summer was a great buck. And I never saw him once during hunting season. And I passed up probably a half dozen 175 to 180 185 inch deer trying while in wall looking for him. And all those deer were just younger bucks that I knew could be something. So like, I just, for me, it, I didn't need venison in the freezer enough to shoot one of those. So I devoted all my time for that buck, you know, and I think you and I are pretty similar, like in being mule deer addicts where I'd rather see a buck being a resident who can hunt these areas every year. It's easier, obviously, but I'd rather see a buck grow than shoot them just to sit, put a picture up on Instagram saying I shot a 180 inch deer when I know that deer is a three-year-old that could be a 200 inch deer. Right. But like coming into like elk, I, 
especially with that tag, I knew what the possibilities for that tag were, especially with the way the snow conditions stacked up. I'm like, I, I'm not shooting a 350 bolt. Like, I, I know I can do better. And so, like, that first day, we went after what, I mean, it was just a huge bowl. He was, I, I mean, I bet you he was at least 385, 390. And just, it was like, you know, when you get the chance to start looking at those big bulls, it's just, you look at them and there's like no question. You're not debating. Well, is he 360? Is he, there's, there's just no debate in your head when you see them long times, you know, long beams and just looks big in comparison to his body and the other elk around him. And like with my bull, the kind of <laughs> deciding factor when I first seen him, he was like four or five miles away and he turned and I could see his thirds just look like buckets coming out. And, <laughs> you know, his royals were just thick and heavy. And I was like, I, I knew he was kind of short on his front tines, but he just looked huge. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to shoot that bull if we can get on him. And I ended up hunting two days to get on him and then killed him. And then, you know, I knew he, you know, I knew he probably wasn't the biggest, I might be able to find a bigger bull. But at that point, we'd been in there for a week. We had, our horses were beat up and we were starting to, worry about horses colicking because i mean as you know with growing up with horses just it's when you're feeding pack cubes in the middle of winter and your horses aren't drinking water you have to be very careful with what they're consuming with those cubes and we ended up having a horse actually colic but we had banamine with us and gave him a shot and got him out of it but we were just uh it was just kind of time so i was happy to find that big bull but then of course Later on in the season, I found the outfitter killed like a 400 inch bull like three days later. So that didn't help. But, <laughs> but you know, my, I think the first thing I look for is I really like to look at the fronts and the thirds and just see if it's just overall, you know, they look nice going up the beams. And then I look at beam length because it's, you know, I've got some like deadheads I've picked up sitting in the garage where I get, I guarantee you, I could take a picture of this deadhead, put it on social media and people think he's a 360, 380 bull. And it's like a 290, just the way that his rock looks big, but his beams are so short. It's just all in comparison. So like first thing I look for is beam length, because if you don't have beam length over 50 inches, you're just not going to see inches grow up because the bull still might look big, but if his beams are only 45, 46, you know, it's just, he can't put on the inches to be out in that upper 300 class do you uh do you have any tri- tricks there to be able to judge phil judge beam length kind of on the fly i mean other than just looking know, I, yeah i just i mean it's, i guess it's just you know years of looking at elk but i kind of just get a feel for it you, you know i you can look from the you know the forehead down to the nose and kind of assume that's in that 20 inch range and then like you know i'll just like very quickly kind of rough with my eyes think oh that's about four of those or well not four that'd be awesome to see four because that'd be like 60 <laughs> inches but you know it just kind of give me a rough idea but like i i like to just get a side profile of the bull and you know if they tip their head up like just to like be straight looking forward and those beams aren't be- like beaming backwards past like about the middle of the back or a little bit further if they're just more like point straight up in the air and more over his front shoulders you know they're not that long of beams um what one trick i've used in in this time of year there it seems like they're just lawnmowers like they always have their head down feeding so it's usually um pretty easy one to use especially if they're if they're on you got to watch if they're on a slanted slope or whatever but um 
when they if 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 their head is at the same level as their feet assuming that they're feeding on a you know ground that's this their heads at the same level as their hooves if that beam doesn't go past the top of their shoulders like that's a red flag right like yeah, right there that. yeah if it and and a good bull like a 55 i've got a nevada or years ago bull we killed in nevada um i think he's right at 55 like those type of bulls they're gonna look like they have excess beam going up over the top of their back uh over yep. their other their withers you know with their shoulders when their head's down level with their their feet um that's one thing i've used the other one um you know those bulls like you said that hit 50 inches which is kind of that like that if you're if you're looking for if, if you're going to get a bull that's 350 and doesn't have something else that's just astronomically out of proportion right like crazy i don't know crazy time length basically or width or mass whatever he's going to have 50 inch beams probably um to hit yeah. 350 plus and uh so from where that fourth where that sword splits he should almost have as much beam after his fourth as he does before to the head. And yep. that that right there, if you start looking at him that way, that will turn you off to a lot of bulls with short beams because you're like, oh, like he's only got half after his fourth of what he has before his fourth, you know, and so you know you're looking at a, you know, 47-inch main beam or whatever it is. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a really good point to point out that whole like looking behind the royal and seeing if it's about the same as what's in front of yeah. it because that because like you know I was saying with the bulls that I have like the couple I have in my garage that look like big bulls because they have nice royals nice fists but if you look at the main beam it's like a quarter of what is in front of it is behind it and that'd be you know that'd be a real quick way on the field to get that type of a judge to know. Yeah, like like you've got this bull posted that you just shot on your general tag. What do you know what the beams were on that? I I let, let me let me guess because he's he's almost got like like he's a, he's a good example. And this is a general bull, right? Like let's all yeah. keep some perspective here. Like this is a this isn't some you know late season Nevada you know once in a lifetime tag. Freaking Stevens yeah. just killing these on general tags, but he <laughs> he looks like in the one picture he's got about half as much main beam after his fourth as he does. So he's probably got forty five inch beams. That's so I I he's at the school guy now and I never did put did, an actual on him, but I was guessing he was right about that forty six forty eight range on his beams. Right. Yeah. Was my guess. Yeah. So that that would check out. Is your big bull on here somewhere? It, yeah, it should be. Oh yeah, I see him with the turned down front. Yep. Yeah. yeah see, tell me what you think his beams go, because I, I I do know what his beams go. Well, see, see, I'm looking at the one on the back of your pony. Here is the first one that I saw, yeah. and that that's a pretty good view. Um, you know. Probably it's probably I bet you got so we're, according to this little field judging exercise we're doing, I would say he's got two thirds worth of beam after his fourth that he does before. So like like I would put him right around that like low fifties. I bet. Yeah, you're right on. I mean, he was basically just over fifty two on each beam. Yeah. Yep. So you know, and 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 we probably should have used like like real big bulls that hit that like magic four hundred mark. I bet they've got a little more like you know happen. They usually have a sixty inch beam, and yeah. they're gonna literally have as much beam after as they do before. But yeah, that's that's checking out on that bull. God, that's a nice bull, man. 
what I was saying, like the year before I killed my late season bull, I ended up, I killed a great general season bull and he had 50, almost a 58 inch beam and a 56 inch beam. And he ended up going right at 360. But when I killed him and walked up to him, I knew he was big when I, he walked up to him. But my first thought when I seen him and shot him, just he, his Royals and his fists, like nothing looked huge, you know, from a distance when I shot him. And as I walked up to him and saw those beams in the mast, then like I started to realize, you know, he was a lot bigger than I thought he was because those beams being as long as they were. It throws the perspective yeah. off. Yep. Yeah. So like he, he doesn't look like a 360 bull. That's, like that's but gotta he, be, that's gotta be this bull that he's got a little extra kicker on his back. Right. Um, no, he shouldn't have. He was, he's just a straight six or yeah, he's just a straight six. Let's see. Not he doesn't have just a little tiny extra point on the right. Which bull's that? Which one am I looking at here? Oh, are you looking like on his second time? Uh, no, off off the beam. Like it would be like like he's pushing a seventh point. No, he. I don't think so. Maybe that's your uh, your late bull. Yeah, that's that's my late bull. See that? Then that picture's just deceiving. You should take that one down because that makes him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does though. He's he's huge, man. God, that's a big. That's like like he said, like a three eighty bull. That is a big bull. Are you looking at the one in the snow? Yeah, when he's all caped out. Yeah. So if you go above that one on my page, there, I've got a bull that's early season, just laying there with his head. That, in the, oh, yep. Okay, I got you. That, that general tag bull, and you can just tell looking at that right side how long that beam is. Yep. Yeah. How long did you say? pushing just under 58 on that side yep yep so yeah that's a that's a it's a really good exercise and and here's the point is like like guys like me it's like i'm just saying like we've clearly we just go through this and do it all the time we're always looking at bulls and that's like the best advice you know i talked about this on the mule deer one someone asked how to field judge mule deer or something look over as many elk as you can just yeah and constantly scoring them whether it's in your head or if you can actually put a tape on them obviously that's um you know that's the best is to do what we're doing and then actually put the tape and and go through the deal or whatever but um yeah uh do you use any any you mentioned like from the skull down to the nose do you use that for like the tying length at all or do you what do you use for I mean, roughly, yeah. And then, like, I honestly, like, one of my things, I guess, maybe it's being a mule deer addict, is is using the ears. You know, like, I kind of just assume ears at about that, not, for an elk, like, 9 to 11 inches. And so, like, I just kind of take an ear for using the points, and that helps me get a rough idea. But, like, I, I think something I've always ran for for elk, like, if you get a side profile on them on their front points – as long as their tines come out to the end of their nose or beyond and then start to shovel up, that's when you're starting to look at that 16 to 18 or more on them. But like when you see those tines not even reach the end of the elk's nose, yeah. you're only looking at a, you know, 11 to 14 inch front tine. Yeah. That bull I killed years ago in Nevada. He, that's exactly what he is. He's got terrible, like not terrible, but he just got real short. I think if I remember right, like 10 to 12 inch, first seconds and then really weak thirds um you know he's he's got a 375 back end and a main beam but those fronts and i didn't care it would don't get me wrong it's not like i misjudged him and thought i was killing a 380 bull he's like a 355 but but that's why you know if he had those beams that were turned up and and had gone 
past the length of his nose, so to speak, like you said, um, right. that, that would have driven him, you know, another 25 inches or whatever. Cause I mean, you're talking three points and you know, if he, if his, uh, first seconds and thirds averaged, you know, 10 inches and then they pushed to, like you said, what, I mean, 15 plus at least, right. Yeah. Sometimes longer on those big bulls. Um, times six, you know, even if they add five inches, that's another 30 inches right there, right? If, if yeah, it's just, <laughs> it, it matters. Um, if you're trying to score a bull and think you're, you know, looking at a 375, you're actually looking at a 345. <laughs> Being a majority junior, like I, I probably don't put as much time into like the little, those, like those nuance points of like trying to score in the field is like somebody who maybe guides in a primo unit where their client is going to lose their brain if they shoot a 360 instead of a 390 yeah. you know like you know, ever since i left hitting i don't have that on my shoulders anymore when i tell someone used to tell someone to shoot you know i but that's just part of it those guys that get to look at the big bulls all the time are dang, they're dang good at field judging or they better be otherwise they're not going to have a happy client yep yep love it um yeah, I think we covered it, man. Um, you know, going through just, just, it's not, you know, like you said, it, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's almost, I hate to say it, but it, it's, it's easier, I think, than finding big bucks. Uh, you know, these, those late season bulls, like they're, they're just, they're going to be secluded. They're going to be on, like you said, like a south facing slope. that has got a little grass or, and or a burn. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be away from people. Someone did ask, that was one of the questions specifically that I got was, um, you know, do roadless and backcountry areas usually produce bigger bulls and more elk in total? Um, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, I think that's a lot more generalized to what, like the area slash state you're hunting. You know, you need the, before you worry about where the bigger bulls are, you have to just have the genetics to grow them. And, you know, there's just some places that don't grow big bulls because they just don't get that big. But, like, in general, I mean, I've, I've packed 30 miles into the wilderness and chased good bulls. I've packed a couple miles from a trailhead and seen giant bulls. You know, it's, I, I don't, I think a good example of it is the 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 giant uh, elephant in the room for Wyoming is the whole non-residents can't hunt the wilderness without a guide or a resident friend to take them right. And every year on an internet forums everywhere, people complain about. And I mean, I I don't mind it too much. It's, it gives me a good spot to go and know I'm not going to run into a ton of people. But at the same time, like some of these wilderness areas, I mean, where I used to guide. I bet you on opening day, you'd see 20 different hunters up 15 miles deep in the wilderness. Like, it's not like it's still that, like, there's still tons of people that hunt them. But, you know, this year where I was hunting was not wilderness during archery. And I saw a bull I thought was pushing 400 inches. And he was just an absolute giant bull. And I unfortunately never was able to catch up to him again. But people are... these elk don't know the difference between a wilderness boundary or a national forest. It's just, you need to find the places where they feel they can get away from trouble, whether that's 10 miles in the backcountry or just two miles from a trailhead, but they have enough timber and feed and water to not have to travel much to be seen. Yep. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's, a it's, it's big mule deer, you know, again, like it's, they don't really care. Now I think elk, 
you know, need more room to roam around generally. Um, And so because of that, they're not as likely to be, you know, a half mile, you know, big bucks will tuck a half mile off of a flipping highway. Uh, They don't, they literally don't care as long as what you just said, as long as they feel secluded, you know, and they feel like it ain't, uh, you know, it's not somewhere that someone's going to bother them. Elk, like, yeah, I mean, they'll do it, but like, they just need more room to roam. And, you know, especially like the other times of the year, September and stuff, they're just moving so much and all that, that, you know, they're more likely to be back in that bigger, nastier country where they've got some, some space or whatever, but yeah, yeah sure. And like, obviously like my, my, my general thing with elk hunting, I take the horses and I go somewhat deep, you know, it's just cause that's where I prefer to be is I have the ability to go far in the back country with my horses and that's where I'm going to be. Cause I enjoy being back there with them. So like for me, most of my hunting is done at least 10 miles from a trailhead. And that's not saying there's not a lot of elk within that first 10 miles. It's just for my personal hunts, I prefer to pack in deep because it's just, I'm pretty dang stubborn when it comes to my hunting. Like it's not because of any aspect of, I think this is where the elk are going to be or whatever. It's like, if I look on something and I'm like, I want to hunt this basin or this looks good to me. Like I'm so stubborn that I will go in there to hunt that. Even if I'm riding, going past areas, I know it's like, I'm going through because this is where I want to hunt because if I kill something or I don't, this is where I want to do it. Yeah. I'm just like, I like to see the country I want to see. And so I'm stubborn enough that I'll, I'll go way further than I need to, I guess, is what <laughs> sometimes, but it, you know, it doesn't bother me because that's just how I like to hunt. Yeah. Uh, what, what's maybe, you know, just, I like to come at these type of, uh, episodes from a couple different angles. So like, if you had to sum it up into, I don't know, two or three like biggest mistakes or things that guys could improve on or be, you know, two or three things that someone could do to be more successful hunting late season bulls or the biggest mistakes guys make or however you want to answer it. Um, you know, just kind of the, the, uh, two or three points that you want to make. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I think just like in an overall general aspect since a couple of years ago when I had a I mean, this, uh, we transitioned back to talking about big bucks now, like my, my, one of my worst memories in my hunting career was having a 220 buck shot out from under me on opening day, a buck that I watched grow for three years from 180 to 205 to 220. And I mean, I have, you know, countless amount of my life and hours were spent in the country with this buck. But, uh, the one thing I learned from that was to be more aggressive. I mean, I, I tried to take it a little easier. I tried to play the safer game and that backfired on me on opening day. And like, I had that buck dead to rights for the two days before opener. And I knew there was one other hunter way down below. And I didn't really think it was going to be an issue. I thought I was going to have time. And unfortunately for me, like that buck fed lower than I expected him to. And I didn't turn him up early, like early enough on opening day. And that guy hiked right into him and got, you know, got a buck of a lifetime for himself. But so I've kind of, ever since that hard reality, like I take this with elk, I take it with deer. I take it like when I went on my mountain goat hunt, I like my mountain goat, that that billy was up in the nastiest steepest cliffs and i was sitting there watching him like well i can sit here and watch him for all day long but that ain't gonna get him killed so like i'm just gonna go for it and i think being aggressive is it is as long as it plays out i mean 
you got to be aggressive to make it work. Like just if you see embedded or if you see elk moving, you just got to go for it. You got to kind of not hesitate and sit there and wait to see embed or something. Sometimes you just got to go for it. And uh, so I guess that's kind of one of my, my biggest things I use in all my hunting nowadays is just trying to be a lot more aggressive in my pursuit, especially if you know, there's other hunters in the area, I guess. Yeah. But, the more, the more, the more pressure you're dealing with, the more that becomes true. You know, if you, you know, my, my brother's down guiding right now in Nevada and he sends me a picture of a, of a big bull from two days ago. And it was like, Oh, you know, look at this bull. And you know, the end of the day, and I'm like, did you guys get on him? No, we didn't. You know, he ended up getting in there. The kid, the guy who's guiding couldn't take a shot. Okay. So next day I'm like, you know, I messaged him, you guys turn him up. No, we didn't turn him up. Two days later, they finally kill him. Right. And it's like, but we're talking Nevada where they, th- there's only a handful of tags and there's just, you know, there's so much country usually per tag that you rarely running or tipping over, you know, stumbling over other guys. And it's like, yeah, in that case, you can afford to sit back and just take your sweet little time and wait till he's in the perfect spot. But like right. you said, you got guys hiking up from the bottom on a general tag, like, you know, it's yeah. now or never, but. Yeah. And then like, I mean, more of just for the late season aspect, it's just. I mean, really, it's. I think it's fine in those spots where they might hang up that has wind blown off slopes with a little bit of grass, you know, or, you know, for migration aspect. But, like, for the majority of people that are hunting late-season elk, I look for stuff that just, you know, you've got cover and timber where they can bed in all day, but then you also have a close proximity to those spots where they can feed, whether if it's a blown-off south slope or if there's not that much snow. I If there's not much snow, like, I'm – I'm going to probably go to the top of the mountain. If there's not much snow, like I would expect to find the bigger bulls high pocketed up in the steep, nasty stuff compared to being mid mountain or down lower where you might start seeing a lot of cows or younger bulls. That's going to keep your focus. Like I would blow right by them and just start going up. Yeah. Yeah. Not that there wouldn't be a decent, you know, big bull down low and whatever, but the, the odds you know the odds are that those big bulls are going to be higher deeper more remote whatever it's just how it is at least you know for the majority of my hunting experience in like idaho and wyoming for the most part that's what like i've seen i I would assume you know other areas like new mexico arizona and stuff just different hunting locales that i haven't had the chance to experience probably might be a little bit different but i don't think there's any difference in elk still are elk and i still think you're looking for those remote spots where those bulls want to pull away and kind of recoup from the rut and just kind of i mean they can live like you said like they can live in a small zone for quite a while without having to move yep yeah and i mean even in those even in those real premium type hunts and you know the fancy tags i call them the like the big 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 biggest stuff you know it's still if they're gonna hang out in the open they're already dead you know, I mean, it's just, just the same with any unit, but, um, okay. Any, uh, any like pieces of gear or, you know, any, you know, specific to like late season bull hunting. I mean, like you, we kind of, op- I think you mentioned when we first started, like you're going to be, it's either going to be snow everywhere and freezing cold or no snow and freezing cold, but either way, it's, <laughs> it's usually going to be freezing cold. Any yeah. like gear specific to those type of hunts that you just like love or wouldn't wouldn't go home without or recommend to guys? 
gloves. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm notorious for always forgetting about my hands when I'm packing for like a, a cold, like a hunt that might be late. And so like, you know, good mitten type gloves. And then I always like, I take puffy pants so I can put those on over my normal, like fleece lined. Like, I mean, I, I've got like the first light foundry series now that has like a fleece liner inside. And, you know, you put puffy pants on over those, you can sit, in the, you can sit in the cold all day long, which is nice, but it's, I, you don't really take into like if you think you're not going to be that mobile and you're going to be standing there glassing i it's really hard to like even if the temperatures don't say it's going to be negative degrees or whatever like just sitting on a mountain as anyone should know like you just get cold sitting there for all day and like there's just not enough clothes you can pack and i kind of like to put on i mean just you know heavy long underwear bottoms you know with and then some sort of fleece at the top and just the thickest puffy jacket and pants i can find are you uh, on your horses? Are you running like a pack boot or do you just wear like an insulated regular hiking boot or what do you run in there? If, if there's a bit of snow on the ground, I'm running my, like ins, I'm running those rubber pack boots and I've got the, like the Trek Cowboys or like the Schneez Elk Hunters, any of those. And usually once like snow flies and I'm, if I'm horseback, I'm usually always in my pack boots, but then How- I mean, I also have some insulated just hiking boots that I run them if it's just cold out how are those pack boots if you do need to like make a move on something and you're doing a bunch of hiking or are you typically just if you're moving you're doing 90 percent of it on your horses no i mean i i hike in them pretty good like the the kennetar cowboys that i run are a little bit more riding specific because they've got like a riding heel and stuff but like like the schneeze elk the schneeze elk hunters and stuff like that have like a good air bob sole and they're just I mean, they, they can be, you could hike all day in those things in the mountains for sure. And I mean, I, I will say like, even though I use horses all the time for hunting, I rarely, I mean, a lot of times I'll leave horses in camp, especially early season. I just use, utilize them to get me further in the country, but I do a ton of, I mean, I walk my horses a ton. I, you know, I don't ride my horses down steep hills. I try and I just, I do a ton of walking. So I'm always wearing boots that enable me to swing with the saddle and go to walk and then i definitely think like those pack boots do pretty dang good for it in the late season yeah okay uh love it man anything else any last little tidbits or anything no man not the not that i can really thank a, I'm a little jealous of people that still have late tags and i, I think I've got a I've got a calculator that I just picked up for just in case I didn't fill my freezer already, but I'm, that one's like a December January thing. So my my you know goal with that one would be if I can't get to it with my snowmobile, I'm not probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you are always welcome in my camp. You're welcome to come down and uh, help me over Thanksgiving, tip over a big old bowl in Nevada. So that would be that would be fun, man. If I'd been to go back and see the old, the old family, I sure as heck would. That'd be fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll uh, I'll have to send you pictures then. <clears throat> yeah, for sure, man. Hey, Stephen, I appreciate you jumping on, man. I want to give you. Yeah. Uh, I always like to give guys credit that come on, and you just, you know, just the time to jump on and divulge a little knowledge and experience. But I mean, you clearly like you're one of my favorite accounts to follow because it's just you can tell you're getting after it, real deal, no BS, like tipping some big stuff over and getting after it. So. Appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, appreciate you having me, man. It's been fun to talk to you. And yeah, I'm sure jealous of the tag you got. That'll be a fun one to hunt. Yeah, well, hopefully, uh, 
you know, like you said, you don't ever want to walk in talking specific inches, but it's it's just one of those tags, you know, you can kind of go shop around, so to speak, I think. So Yeah, that'll be a fun one, man. I'm jealous. Okay. Well, I'll let you go. Have a good evening and uh yeah. Appreciate your uh, appreciate your time, man. Yeah, man. Sounds good. You have a great evening as well and let me know how the hunt goes. Yes, sir. Thanks, Steven. All right, see you, man. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.